0: Good morning, everyone. So this has absolutely nothing to do with the the sermon that I'm about to preach. Um, But how many of you would like to see revival in your time? Amen. Amen. Some people want to see revival. Okay. Well, you've just shot yourself in the foot. Because whenever I read through the history books of the great revivals of history, they all start with faithful believers gathering to pray yeah you saw that coming didn't you some of you knew that uh, and so I, I, I want to echo the invitation and echo the challenge uh, don't just think oh okay well you know yeah I'll let some of the faithful few pray and I'll just go on with my life come and pray with us get that prayer guide for the week uh, and pray for the life of the church pray that we would be revived uh, you know, as I look into this coming year and as I look at sort of the challenges that await White Rock Baptist Church, uh, I am well aware that we need to pray at the beginning of the year as we prepare for the year. So that's it. That's my quick little aside or my ADD moments on prayer. I hope to see you all. Uh, over the next week as we gather to pray. You know, you might be joining us online. You might be joining us for the first time for a little while in person. Uh, As I said last week, January, kind of the numbers are always all over the map. Uh, People are away. People have the flu. uh, And now with COVID, of course, there's all the added challenges. And so you might be joining for the first time today, kind of wondering what has happened to the church that the preacher is in a t-shirt. Uh, yeah, I and as I said last week, I'm I'm pretty uncomfortable, uh, you know, in this T-shirt, uh, myself. It's just not my normal game. You know, the jeans are fine. I'm going to wear jeans till the day I die. Uh, but normally, I have a collar on. And, and over the last few weeks, the T-shirt has been the series that we're preaching through: love that neighbor, and the whole reminder for us is that there are people around us with whom we disagree uh, and with whom we we struggle to engage with, we struggle to relate to, yet Scripture still calls us to love. doesn't matter what they do and how they do in a sense. uh, We're still called to love them. Even if I don't agree, uh, even if I think that they're really making terrible choices, even if I read Scripture and I interpret what they're doing as sin, I'm still called to love. And so that's what we've been doing over the last few weeks. And last week, we had a look at the topic of racism and how do we handle racism as we love our neighbors, as we love the world around us. And I'm really thrilled at the engagement that last week created. You know, I I always know uh, if the sermon is actually impacting people's lives when I get emails back. Uh, you know, and, and of course, last week I had a couple of emails. Don't worry, most of them were really positive. I, you know, I, I was just thrilled at the fact that life groups uh, were, were wrestling and were engaging through the questions. Uh, I was thrilled that people were able to uh, interact kind of with themselves as they process that topic. And, and I need to remind you, one Sunday, tackling any topic is never enough. It's really just kind of scratching the tip of that proverbial iceberg. Uh, But I hope and pray that as we go through these different topics, it will engage conversation. It will engage dialogue. Uh, And like I said last week, for many of us, maybe the first step is for us to just shut up and listen. Uh, And I want to thank you for praying for me. Because I had a couple of emails going, hey, Brian, we're just praying for you. Uh, You need to pray for me for the next few weeks. Because you might wonder, okay, well, where are we going over the next few weeks? Next Sunday is Pastor Jennifer's ordination service. And Larry Schramm will be back here with us uh, as our regional minister for the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada. Uh, And, you know, he preached such a good word when he was here in November that I said to him, look, sorry, pal, you're going to be here. The pulpit's yours. But here's what you need to preach on. And he almost didn't want to come anymore when I told him what we're doing. Because the week after, we're going to be talking about how to love that LGBTQ neighbor. And that's a loaded topic. That is a heavy topic from all angles. And there's no ways we're going to be able to cover that entire topic in one Sunday. Not even remotely. But we can definitely, as a body of brothers and sisters who hold very different opinions and very different views, we can tackle and wrestle together, and we can still learn to love together. So pray for me. That's it for kind of all those asides. Let's dive in to today. Love that neighbor. You know, I'm reminded of the, the, the preschool teacher who, you know, we've had all the snow and heavy winter over the last couple of weeks. And I'm reminded of a preschool teacher who was helping one of her students uh, put on his snow boots And so she gets to the student to find kind of one boot is on and he's really struggling with the second boot. So she starts helping and it's pushing and pulling and kind of, you know, huffing and puffing to get this boot on. And eventually she gets this snow boot on this kid and the kid exclaims, they're on the wrong feet. And so she's like, oh, true to form, they are on the wrong feet. And so she kind of struggles with this child and pulls the boots off and Turns, you know, gets them onto the right feet and again just huffing and puffing and uh, pulling and, and wrestling together and eventually gets these boots on. And then the kid goes, these aren't my boots. And the teacher's like, oh, you know, but she just tries to keep patience and, and so she reaches down again and starts pulling and, and he's helping to push and gets the boots off. And, and once the boots are off, the, the kid goes, they're my brothers, but my mom said I have to wear them. <laughs> <sighs> the teacher's like, okay. And, and now she just wants to shout at this poor kid, but, but no, she'll stop. And so she gets, keeps helping and wrestles. And, and I mean, you know what it's like trying to put clothing on any sort of young kid. You know, and so she's wrestling and eventually gets these boots on. And like, she's now sweating. She takes off her own coat, but, but the boots are on. Her brother's, his brother's boots are on. Life is good. And so she looks around and she says, well, Where are your mittens? He goes, I shoved them into the toes of my boots. It takes a lot of patience working with kids. It takes a lot of patience just dealing with people, doesn't it? Patience is never an easy thing. In fact, I've learned not to pray for patience. And I hate it when somebody says, I'm praying for patience for you. That's a curse. That's not a blessing. Because I've discovered that when we pray for patience, God puts us in a situation where patience is required. And somebody must have been praying for me while I was on vacation two weeks ago. You know, at the end of our vacation, uh, the family took, took some time away and... We had to come back home uh, and it's COVID so you've got to follow all these COVID rules and you need all these tests and uh, we knew we needed a PCR test to get back into Canada. So we, we went and got that done and we had our paperwork. We thought we were all good to go and we get into this overcrowded airport with lines everywhere and kind of weaving through and eventually we get to the front only to be asked, where is your antigen test? And I'm like, well, what antigen test? I, I only need a PCR, what are you talking about? And eventually they kind of point out, yeah, but you're flying through the United States, even though you're not going in, you're going through an American airport. And America requires an antigen test that is less than 24 hours. And of course I'm like, uh, that's not in any of these emails. I don't have that, what, what are we supposed to do? And thankfully the airport had a testing facility but you know, I'm, I nearly lost my patience with the person, uh, and there was no ways we're getting on the flight without this antigen test. So we go running off to join the lineup, and of course, there's a lineup. And, and I'm looking at the watch, and I'm looking at, and I'm looking and, and eventually I realize we're going to miss our flight, regardless. We're going to miss our flight. And, and so we go through, and we, we get the test. And then the lady at the test says, okay, you should have the result in about 20 minutes. We go running back to the lineup for the, air, for the flight. And uh, we're waiting and I'm checking my email. I'm just constantly refreshing, constantly refreshing, constantly refreshing, kind of going, ah, And eventually the email comes through and we race off to the counter. And the person goes, I'm sorry, that flight is closed. And that's when I realized somebody was praying for patience for me. <laughs> because we had to work out, well, what does that mean? That, that patience is tested don't worry i'm going to come back to that flight in a moment because jesus is faithful even when our testing when our patience get tested it's not easy you know when our patience is tested for ourselves we struggle but it's definitely a much greater struggle when we deal with relationships with people around us and those relationships that can that test our patience and so when we get to scripture We discover what Scripture calls us to. And we discover what Jesus says to us around this idea of patience. And as we talk about loving that neighbor, as we talk about loving that individual, whether they're sitting, like Jennifer prayed, just a few pews away from you, and you've kind of sorted that because that way you can go out that exit and they go out that exit. And that happens in churches, I'm sad to say. But whether it's loving that person or whether it's loving somebody with whom you share life or or perhaps a colleague at work or perhaps a literal neighbor that, that, you know, just tests your patience. I believe that in loving that neighbor to be like Christ requires patience. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You knew we were going there just by what I've been saying you know, this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 13, is often used in, in weddings, uh, and you can see why. It's a beautiful declaration of love, uh, but it's not just for weddings. It's not just for husbands and wives. This is written in the context of worship. In fact, 1 Corinthians In chapter 10 through to 14, it's all about how do we worship, how do we act in church, how do we connect with one another? And there's this metaphor of the body and the the different parts of the body, and how do we kind of relate to one another? And so in the middle of this, in the middle of a church in Corinth that really struggled with all sorts of issues, Paul writes, here is how you love one another. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it'll be up on the screen as well, reading from verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship, that I might boast. But do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. When I became a man, I put, away, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, v- verse 4 begins the description of love. And it simply starts off by saying, love is patient. And perhaps the question is, why is love patient? Or maybe I can change it given uh, loving that neighbor. Why should we show patience? You know, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells this remarkable parable of a king uh, to whom multiple people owe money, and, and he's going to settle his accounts. And he brings in one of his servants who owes, uh, in basically in, in the day, more than he could ever hope to repay. That's the significant amount he owes this king. And so the king says, Well, then I'm going to have to throw you into prison, and you're going to have to work that debt off. And so this man falls on his knees before the king and begs and pleads and says, please have patience with me. I will repay. And the king is moved because the king knows there's not a chance you can repay this. And the king is moved with mercy. And so he says to him, uh, and he doesn't just say, "Okay, I'll give you patience. He just wipes the debt. He forgives the debt, says you don't owe anything anymore. So then this man goes out, the servant goes out from the presence of the king and he comes across somebody who owes him really the equivalence of just a couple of dollars. He doesn't owe him that much. But he grabs this man by the throats and he tells him, you pay me, you owe me, I you must get it now. And this servant falls before the other servant and says, please have patience with me. I, I will pay you back. I will earn it. I will get it for you. And this servant says, No. I'm not going to give you patience. And he has him thrown into jail until he repays that debt. And of course, the other servants kind of think, well, wait a minute, that's, that's not fair. That's not right. You were forgiven that great debt. And look what you did after that. So they go and tell the king. And the king is moved to anger at this. So he calls that servant back in and explains to that servant, just as I showed you patience, just as I showed you mercy and forgave that debt, shouldn't you have done the same for the other servant? And because you didn't, the king has him thrown into prison for the rest of really his life because of what he owed Why should we show patience? Well, that parable says quite clearly, because God shows us patience. God is patient with us. How many times have we let God down? You know, I'm sure some of you have prayed that prayer. Lord, if you come through for me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Lord, if you help me out here, I'll never do this thing again. And then God comes through for us, and after a couple of weeks, it's like we haven't even said it. You know, when I was in that airport, realizing we've missed our flight, now I'm not uh, too sure what to do, I, I sort of turned to the kids. Everything in my life is a sermon illustration and a teachable moment. <laughs> because when we first discovered that we need this test, I sprang into action, but my wife stopped the whole family. And in this bustling, chaotic, busy airport with people all over the show, we had a prayer meeting. And the four of us got into a little circle, grabbed hands, and Cindy led us in prayer. Lord, you know what we need. You know what needs to be done. We trust you. And then boom, off we went. And we get back and, and we don't have this antigen test. We don't have what we need. And, and so I sort of said to the kids, you know, God sometimes lets us go through experiences of hardship to remind us that he's in control. And, and now don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying God puts us in those places of hardship. Do you know why we didn't have that antigen test? It was completely my fault because I didn't read what I should have read. It was not God's fault that we didn't have what we needed. And so I said to the kids, you know, sometimes God lets us go through hardship to remind us that he's in control, to remind us that he's still on the throne and it doesn't take him by surprise because the absolute irony was when we got our antigen test and we got back to that counter to, to discover that our flight has now Closed and we're not on it. The most helpful person on planet Earth on the other side of that counter made a plan. And he transferred us and put us on another airline, on another flight. It didn't cost us anything extra. And we flew direct. So we didn't even need the antigen test, but you know, that's where God works in his sense of humor. We flew home direct and we got home earlier than what we would have if we'd made our original flight. (laughs) God has this incredible sense of humor. But isn't it so true that often we find hardship, we go through hardship, and that's when we cry out to God. And God understands that. And just as we relate with God and God is so patient with us, this is why Scripture calls us to be patient with others. Because others are going to let us down. Others are going to frustrate us. Others are going to anger us. We need to extend grace. And we need to be patient. And not just for that first time. Because I think many of us are, you know, okay, I'll, I'll show you patience once. But, but if you keep doing that or, or you kind of frustrate me again, no more. You've blown it. No, no. God isn't like that. God doesn't say, well, sorry, you've used up your three strikes and now you're out. No. But maybe if, if you struggle with patience, maybe you've never really taken notice of God's patience for you. You know, Max Lucado writes in his book, A Love Worth Giving, he says, if you find patience hard to give, you might might ask the same question. How infiltrated are you with God's patience? You've heard about it, you've read about it, perhaps underlined passages regarding it, but have you received it? Have you truly received it? The proof is in your patience. Patience deeply received results in patience freely offered. And really what Max is saying is, if I struggle with impatience, if I struggle to extend patience to others, maybe it's because I haven't truly understood the patience I've received from God on a daily basis. (coughs) Patience deeply received results in patience freely offered. (coughs) Excuse me. I have a dry throat. I don't have COVID. (coughs) And hopefully it'll go away. God is love and God is patience. Sorry, doll, I'm going to need a glass of water. (laughs) Normally I have my bottle with me, so I don't know why I chose this morning not to have my bottle. And I probably shouldn't have had that coffee right before the service. But such is life. We will take this moment to be patient with the preacher who didn't prepare. And uh, we'll use that as a metaphor. God is love and God is patience. And I would say that love demands patience. Love demands patience. You see, we live in a, in a world that breaks God's heart daily because of disobedience. Uh, a lack of regard for God's uh, initiative, God's commands. Thank you. Yes, you can applaud my lovely assistant for <laughs> rescuing me there. Of course, now I might be in trouble at lunchtime. We live in a world that breaks God's heart. A world with disobedience and lack of regard for, for God's instructions to us. But even in, midst, even in the midst of a world that breaks God's heart, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone coming to repentance. This is why God is patient with this world. You know, even though we gather around and we kind of look at what's happening. You know, Cindy and I spent some time with a couple on Friday nights and we were talking and I've been reading through Thessalonians and so we were talking about kind of the end times and the end of the world. And when is Jesus coming back? And there's this desire and and this longing that Jesus would come back. You know, honestly, in fact, just driving here this morning, that topic came into the car with Kristen and I about Jesus' return. You know, and, and there's this desire for the return of Christ. And then we realize, well, actually, God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. He is patient with us. How do we love that neighbor? Love is patient. We show patience because God is patient with us. But here's the thing. We should also show patience because people never see Christ in your impatience. Let me say that again. People never see Christ in your impatience. If we are to reflect the love of Christ working through us, If we want others to see Christ in us, they're not going to see it when we lose our patience with them. And I have to be honest, you know from some of the illustrations I've used from my own life, this is something God is working on in me. Because people need to see Christ. They won't see him when they experience impatient Brian. Jesus says, you are my ambassador to the world. That means He wants the people who we interact with to experience Him. Let us learn to be patient. Jesus is patient with me, therefore I can be patient with all people. And I know if many of us go, well, that's an impossible task. No, it's not, because Christ has left us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works within us. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit... As the Holy Spirit works in us, the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and rest. The fruit of God's Spirit at work in us is patience. And this is why we can be patient with others. Even when it seems that they're going against us. You know, Rome, uh, Paul says to the church in, Rome, in Romans chapter 12, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. God wants patience to be part of our lives, even in those times of struggles, even in those difficulties, even when we deal with difficult people. Trust me, that difficult person you're dealing with, they're probably dealing with a difficult person in you. Therefore, we need to be patient. God desires to give us patience because God is patient with us. And He knows we're going to disappoint Him. Yet He still extends grace and He still extends love to us. And yes, even though there are people around us who who make and have made poor choices. And certainly made choices that we would say, don't do that. That's going to wreck your life. God is still patient with them. God is still wanting to work in their lives. And rather than judging, rather than condemning Do you know how much more powerful it would be if we approach individuals like that to say, yes, I know you've messed up, but I haven't lost hope for you or hope in you. I believe in you and I know God has a plan for you. What a different world we would have. Love is patient. Do you notice what 1 Corinthians doesn't say? It doesn't say love is given to those who believe like you. Love is given to those who agree with you. Love is given to those who sin differently from you. No. Love is simply given. There are no requirements. It is unconditional. Therefore, unconditional love is patient regardless. Let me take a quick aside here in the midst of this subject. Sometimes people ask me, Brian, why are you a Baptist versus an Anglican or a Methodist or whatever the case might be? Now, I generally don't get too hung up on those labels. You know, I think the world ebbs and flows with all of those. But one of the reasons why I am a Baptist is because Baptists aren't, Baptist isn't a denomination in the strictest sense. We don't have sort of a leadership, a structure over us that tells us what to do or how to act or how to believe. One of our Baptist distinctives or our Baptist principles is the autonomy of the local church. That together, we believe together, we can discern the will of God. And we can discern the Holy Spirit prompting us and we respond accordingly. And this is why we put an emphasis on our AGMs, for example. It's not just simply, oh, we go there and we vote on the budget and off we go. No, it's because we have an autonomy and we sense God's direction together. And so even in this coming year, as we think of last year saying goodbye to Marvin and to Jason, it's the church who then says, how do we respond to that? How do we replace or what do we do? And nobody comes in over us and says, this is what you must do and this is what you must believe and this is how you must act. We together read Scripture and we have autonomy. But not only do we have autonomy, and one of our other Baptist distinctives or Baptist principles, sometimes we speak about soul freedom, or others might talk about religious liberty. For me, this is a fundamental Baptist distinctive. And what this one means is that it has a community... We determine what we believe the scripture teaches us to believe and to act accordingly. And as a community, as we interpret scripture, we then live and act in that way. But religious liberty and soul freedom means that how we interpret and how we act, no one can judge that. Only God judges that. And we stand before God as our final judge and authority. Now, of course, and this is what happens and this is why the world is so chaotic. Have you ever tried to get a family of four to agree on what song to listen on the radio when you're driving somewhere? It verges on impossible. Now, imagine trying to get a whole church to agree on every single topic, every single subject. It's just never going to happen. We come from different experiences. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different cultures. We come from even different faith backgrounds that have influenced us. And as we turn to Christ, we have to come to a point to say, well, God is the judge. Yes, we should debate. Yes, we should dialogue. Yes, we should discuss. But religious liberty ultimately means if you believe that and you act in accordance with your conscience, I might not agree with it, but I'm not the judge. God is. And so as I look at the autonomy of the local church and this idea of religious liberty, it means that I can love with patience because God will sort it out in the end. As long as I'm worshiping Christ and following what I believe he calls me to do, and if I engage with somebody who's not, I love them. If I engage with somebody who claims to be doing exactly the same, yet their life looks very different to mine, I don't go, you're wrong, I'm right. I go, okay, God will figure it out. I love you. Love is patient. Patience isn't an easy thing, yet God wants to develop it in us. How do I close off? Loving that neighbor means practicing patience with that neighbor. And because I've preached about patience today, you better believe every one of us is going to be, have an opportunity to practice patience. In fact, if, if you're going to a restaurant for lunch after church, you will practice patience there. Keep your eyes open, see it when it comes when that teenage child of yours is frustrating you, when that little kid is struggling to put on the boots and they're on the wrong feet, when your spouse does that thing that just always irritates you, when your neighbor does that thing, love is patient. And you might ask, well, where does Christ fit in here? Where does Jesus fit in? You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we just read about love is patient, love is kind, we see the image of Christ. In fact, we read in Scripture that God is love. Not simply that God loves, but God is love. And if you take in 1 Corinthians 13 and replace the word love with God or with Jesus, you end up with Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus forgives. If I truly want to learn to be patient and extend patience to others, then I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I need Jesus in control. And if you don't have Christ in your life, then perhaps today is the day when you invite him in. And you acknowledge, Jesus, I've tried to live my life on my own terms. I'm sorry, will you take up residence? And will you lead my life? And for those of you who've known Jesus as your Lord and Savior for years, yet perhaps still struggle with impatience, maybe today is the day where you say, God, forgive me. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to go and say sorry to someone. And then allow the Spirit of God to work in you and through you So that the world would see Christ in us. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you are so incredibly patient with us. It almost feels like on a daily basis we we get something wrong. Our flesh longs for or longs to sin and it rushes out so easily. And yet you extend this incredible, unlimited, unconditional patience to us. And you love us and you forgive us. And you welcome us back in. And just as you do that for us, Jesus, you call us to do the same for the world around us. And as we talk about loving that neighbor, we know some people are easy to love. And there are some that we really just struggle with. Their political ideology is so different to us. Their their worldview is so different. Their life choices and practices are so different. And we wrestle. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to extend patience. And in so doing, to extend love. Because we know that as we do that, God, there's more chance for the world around us to see our Savior Christ. When people ask, why are you so kind? Why are you so loving? Why are you so patient? That we would be able to point back because my God is patient with me. And it's the least I can do. God, would you be glorified through your people. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.